Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. Yes, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday afternoon. We got ourselves a grudge match because if you recall, it was the BTL tournament finale earlier this month. Alexander Kaylee jumps in as an alternate against Jed Mashu. It came down to the knockout round where special guest judge New York Rick awarded the matchup and the championship to Jed Mashu. And that decision rubbed AK the wrong way. And then he went on to cut one of the best post-match promos in history, especially coming off a loss. He crapped on this show. He crapped on everything the show stood for, but he really let New York Rick have it. So let us introduce the aforementioned AK Lee from MMAfighting.com, the co-host of On to the Next One, the ranking show, and at least most of the time, the Prince of Positivity. Hello, AK. Did I what did I cut a promo? Did I say I, I don't that doesn't sound like me, Mike. I, I, I don't think I would I would handle a loss like that in such a, a graceless way. Uh, I honestly don't remember. It was a very emotional match. The whole situation was emotional coming in as a late replacement. And anytime you're in there with Jed Mashu, there's all kinds of thoughts and it's, it's like a storm going on in your brain. So uh, I, I cannot be held accountable for what I said. I, I don't think I said anything too offensive about BTL or uh, today's opponent or yourself, Mike, or uh, producer E. Casey Lydon or anybody. So uh, I'm not apologizing because I, I don't think I I don't think I crossed any lines if we're being real here. So you are saying right now that you didn't say you were more of a Connor Burks guy than a New York I, Rick guy? Did, did I, you not listen, say that? I am very fond of the work of Connor Burks. He's been, it's great <laughs> to see him on the MMA hour, you know, this extended part of the, of the MMA fighting family. I think very highly of him. Uh, how I may have phrased a compliment in his direction. Someone else may have taken it the wrong way. That's not on me. Uh, I'll do a classic PR move. I apologize if I offended anyone with my praise of, of Connor Burks. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm so excited for this. Let us introduce his opponent, Mr. New York Rick, kind enough to join us this week. MMA Fighting's own New York Rick, the social media guru, guru himself. Thank you for doing this, my man. How are you and how are you feeling about this grudge match? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor uh, to be on the show. I think very highly um, of the show. I, I would not dis- dare disparage it in the way that Alexander Kaylee did. Um, as far as how I feel about the grudge match, I don't feel much at all. I'll be completely honest. Like, you know, I'm going up against somebody who lost to Jed. So um, there's not much on the line here. Like, you know, the stakes aren't very high. This is a walk in the park. So um, I don't think much, to be honest. And and I ho- hopefully my opponent can prove me right here. Wow. AK just with the shake of the head. Well, as, as interesting as this matchup is and this rivalry is, it pales in comparison to the battle Francis Ngannou just had and will continue to go through because the UFC heavyweight champion went into UFC 270 with the weight of the world on his shoulders, on his back. He gambled on himself. He had issues with the UFC. He had a deal with his old coach burying him in every interview and the buildup to the fight, the contract, the, the demanding of respect that he wasn't getting. And oh yeah, Doing all of this with a wrecked knee, emails about lawsuits, text messages from random Vegas numbers sent to his manager, all of this going on ahead of a heavyweight title defense. And he still went in there and won the fight against Cyril Gaon after being down two rounds. So AK, let me start with you. Knowing everything we know now, how impressive does Francis Ngannou's win look now? I mean, I thought it was impressive at the time. I, I, I know uh, we've been we've been saying this repeatedly. Like, it, it, obviously, there's so much stuff around the fight that if you just saw the fight in a void, uh, if you were unaware of again the pre-fight sort of the contract negotiation drama, uh, maybe even unaware of the history between Cyril Gan and Francis Ngannou, um, unaware of of how uh, Francis usually fights. If you just saw that, you might this is like your first time watching a UFC heavyweight championship fight. You might watch it and be like, "Oh, that's like the worst fight ever. This is terrible." One guy just wrestled another guy. I don't understand. I saw. I see two big, like, muscly, punchy guys in there. Uh, why, how, why did the fight go this way? But with all the context, I mean, it, it was so fascinating. I think it's a, a heavyweight title fight we will be talking about for so long, not not just because of how it unfolded, not just because of, again, what I think was a wonderful mixing of the martial arts by Francis Ngannou. Uh, yes, we, we love the power punching, put a guy away in under 30 seconds, uh, Francis. But for him to show this this extra this this new uh, this new facet of his game, one that that that, that, they, that they had said, uh, look, he 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 lo- he's actually really taken to grappling. Um, he, he's 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 got a real passion for it. He showed his improvements in the Stipe Miocic fight. It was a long time ago, so maybe I don't know. People forgot uh, his ability to sprawl, his improved wrestling defense, and maybe just the, or maybe they thought that was the limits of it. He'll he'll be he'll be a, a defensive wrestler and use that to stand and bang. No one thought he could take over uh, and win a fight on points with grappling. Uh, th- again, that to me is is quintessential mixed martial arts. Do I want to see him uh, again, just grounding and neutralizing every opponent he faces going forward? I don't know. I guess it would depend who it is. I certainly don't want to miss the, uh, I don't want to lose. Excuse me, the free swinging, anything can happen like knockout power version of Francis Ngannou. But uh, but occasionally, and facing a guy who's an expert striker, people saying maybe the best striker in the heavyweight division, it was just so cool to see. So I love it. I love how everything around it has been handled so far. It, it, again, on its own. A fascinating fight. Everything that's surrounding it, man. I don't know. Well, well, I, I well, I guess we'll talk about that more. But uh, but just the fight itself and just the performance, absolutely outstanding. And I think his uh, also the way he's carried himself has been great. 
Eric, what do you think? Especially when we tack on just how serious this knee injury is. We just found out yesterday he's going to need surgery. He's going to be out for a while. We'll talk about what that means for the division and for the title and all that stuff in a little while. But just everything we've known and, and everything we've learned over the last couple of days about just heading into the fight with everything he's had to deal with. How impressive is this win? Yeah, it's it's very impressive. Um, Francis Ngannou in, in now being able to admit that he was hurt and had the knee injury has called it stupid. I would also call it stupid. Not not the best move when everything is hinging on this um, to go into that fight injured. But I think a lot of fighters, you know, go in dinged up and, uh, you know, are, are facing adversity, whether it be actual physical injuries in the case of Francis Ngannou or things outside the cage. He was facing both um, and still came in and found a way to, to have success. For me, the defining um, conversation around this fight is twofold. One, in the fight itself, we had been sold for, for many, many months that Cyril Ghosn was the evolution of the heavyweight division, that Cyril Ghosn was something we had never seen before, that Cyril Ghosn was going to be the man to dethrone everybody and reign for as long as, as he wanted. And Francis Ngannou, primarily a power puncher, one of the most devastating power punchers in the world, came out there and wrestled him. Um, so if that was the evolution, I would question I would question those that thought that we were going to see that evolution because if the evolution includes not being able to stop takedowns from uh, Francis Ngannou, I would question whether that premise was was uh, could stand on its own in the first place. Go into the fight, Francis Ngannou gets the job done again, facing tremendous adversity. I thought it was an incredible performance, um, and to be able to to compartmentalize all those things, tremendous. Then. He fields the questions from the media after Dana White doesn't put the belt on him, which I thought he handled perfectly, rolls into an interview with Ariel Hawani, which I thought he handled perfectly. And every step along the way, he was nailing it. It was A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+. Plus. And then we got to yesterday when it was announced that he was going to have surgery. And all the momentum, all the leverage, everything that Francis Ngannou had in his favor disappeared. And I'll tell you why. If he hadn't, announce the surgery, he would be able to insert himself into the conversation and continue to say, hey, I'm going to fight. Um, UFC is not able to, to fulfill that obligation and continue to put the pressure and the onus on the UFC to address Francis Ngannou. Now, the UFC is going to be able to put Francis Ngannou on the shelf and say, hey, any questions we get about Francis Ngannou, he's not fighting. He's currently getting surgery. We're not ready to talk about him because he's not ready to fight. When he's ready, we can address this. So Francis Ngannou, from having all that leverage, all that pressure, all that opportunity and capitalizing on the performance, now by electing to go into surgery um, and, and put himself on the shelf, kind of uh, is, is removing that pressure from the UFC. And in a year's time, when, when this uh, decision that he has to make comes up, I feel like he will have lost a lot of momentum. Um, it's unfortunate, but I thought it was A++ all the way through uh, until yesterday. Wow, that is a really interesting take on this. And we're definitely going to dive into that a whole bunch more a little bit later. But I want to go back, Eric, to this incredible interview between Ariel and Franz Ngano on Monday. This was an all-timer. And he was talking about everything that happened. Dana not wrapping the belt around him, not showing up to the press conference. We'll talk more about that in the second round. But I mean, this was one of the, the all-time great, open and honest interviews. He just did not care. His feet were planted in the sand and he wasn't budging. He didn't hold back, and he talked about 
a lot of these things that we referenced earlier, the threat of the lawsuit hours before the fight, that just hearing that was absolutely insane to hear. There was a lot of craziness in this interview. There's a lot of shoulder shrugging and rolling of the eyes. Like, really, this happened? But I'm curious, Eric, what stood out the most to you about this interview? What was the biggest takeaway you had? Uh, the biggest takeaway for me was that I think Francis Ngannou had a lot of opportunity and every right um, to be disgruntled, to be um, upset, to be emotional, to be um, angry, to take cheap shots at Dana White, at the UFC, at everybody who's wronged him. Uh, but what we saw was a motivated man, a man with a with something uh, a larger goal in mind. Um, a classy individual, just based on the interactions that people seem to have with him and, and how he presented himself in that interview. Um, Francis Ngannou continuing to um, voice his displeasure without um, lessening the impact of what he's saying by taking cheap shots or, or lowering himself to to a level um, that he is well within his right, I would say, based on the situation um, to do, is what stood out to me. So the openness, the honestness, certainly um, that is can be appreciated and I think will be impactful. And I think that interview will, will stand the test of time and be an important one. But I think it's Francis Ngannou's continued ability to take these slights, um, internalize them, and come forward with um, – a positive demeanor and a game plan that's going to get him what he wants. And hopefully successfully, it, it seems like he's, he's moving in the right direction for that. Uh, but it is, it is his demeanor. That is the thing I will take away from it. What about you, AK? What, what, what was the thing you took away the most from that interview on Monday with Francis? Yeah. Somewhat along those lines. I, I think what's, what's uh, different about Francis and other people have complained about uh, the UFC sort of, but it has with the UFC in the past. I, I, Conor McGregor would be an example. Um, uh, Nate Diaz, of course, is it, it is lacking that sort of bluster. That's that, uh, that, you know, can make people think this is more of like a self-promotion thing. This is more like, like sort of empty talk. This is just like an extension of persona. Uh, we talked a lot about going into the, into the, uh, the fight with Cyril Gan, how sort of how classy Cyril Gan is, and Francis is, has very much carried himself the same way too. He certainly um, has shown a little more sort of willingness to to like be aggressive with his comments. Maybe it's just uh, uh, you know that's a side effect of of uh, training so much in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> training, getting a little of that North American attitude. Um, well, really specifically, you, people in the U.S., not Canadians, obviously. But uh, but I, but I think that's going to make a difference going forward because again, this is uh, this is a debate people want to take seriously. Um, even when someone like Jake Paul comes forth uh, and you know starts presenting these actual issues, there still is this skepticism that is this real? Is this for self benefit? We just saw today he's now releasing a, a Dana White diss track, which again, I mean, mileage may vary. Some people may find that hilarious. But it does sort of take away from, again, the seriousness of this supposed battle he wants to be fighting for fighter rights. So uh, Francis, you know, hasn't kind of gone as far as to say that, like, I'm doing this for other fighters. He's kind of been smart enough to say this is about me. This is about my situation. Um, but I, I think by extension, whether he realizes it or not, he, he can make this really strong stance. And maybe it's naive of me to think that uh, because he's handling this in such a professional way and because I do feel like despite the surgery and the upcoming inactivity – he still has a quite a bit of leverage. Um, I think that I, I want to believe that this will lead to something because we always talk about it's the biggest stars at the top. They're going to have to sacrifice and going to have to fight uh, the UFC if there's ever going to be any sort of sort of, uh, you know, change to the bargaining, to the negotiating. Again, it's happened before. I know bigger names than him have made waves, uh, but like we said, the, the way he handles himself in interviews, the way he handles himself in that interview, it's it's so telling. And I hope people take the uh, delivery of the message 
uh, with as much weight as the message itself. So, uh, yeah, his 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 demeanor and his characters is just so important, and uh, we'll see how much uh, that resonates with with people going forward. So, kind of going back to Eric's point, AK, I'm gonna start with you on this because Ngannou's getting the surgery on the knee. He's going home to celebrate the win. He's coming back to the U.S. to get the surgery. I'm told around March is is what they're looking at timeline wise, and he's likely done for the rest of the year because they're saying eight to nine months, and even if he's clear to train in november or go into a camp in november there's no way he's gonna be ready by december so by all accounts that means his contract with ufc will officially be fulfilled and he can test the waters unless he's just a super freak which is possible and he comes back in like six months and does a tony ferguson so ak in your heart of hearts after all that has been done here and we'll talk about where this division might go like i said a little bit later on you heard eric's take on this which i thought was really interesting do you feel that Saturday night, UFC 270, this title defense, this is the last time we see France Ngano in the UFC. Wow. Gosh, I, I'm everyone knows I'm pretty uh, conservative in my predictions. I almost always lean to when, whenever there's questions like this, whether again, whether it's McGregor or someone else, I almost always lean towards like, I'm sure they'll work things out. I think they're going to come back. But this situation is really is different than anything we've seen recently because uh, we've had some great reporting, uh, you know, that, that's 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 let people know he is a free man. As far as we know, in December, he just has to wait it out. He's not fighting again, like we said, up to probably up to eight, uh, nine, ten months, which is the entire year he's in no rush to get back he said uh listen i fought three times in three years do you really think inactivity is going to bother me that this is what i'm used to by now um so i actually am now leaning towards i think he has to walk away i think chael sonin uh he he has some weird things to say about ufc 270 but one one really good point was that Without a sort of a, a bird in hand, as it were, another bird in hand, that bird being the, the Tyson Fury boxing match or some big boxing match, I'm sure there have been talks. We know him and Tyson Fury. They've been saying a lot in social media, but that's not official. That's nothing official. So without that, it does make you wonder um, what is his plan if he already has one and a half feet out the door. Um, but regardless, I think whatever happens with Tyson Fury uh, or other boxing opportunities for Francis – so much can change over the next over the next year i feel like the ufc is ready to move on from him and i think he'll be ready to move on too so i am leaning towards yes at least for the time being uh this is the last time this is this will be the end of uh francis's first run uh with the ufc can he come back at some point of course you never know it's mma anything's possible i could see him building up his brand outside the ufc uh in boxing and then coming back with an even bigger name more money bigger fights everyone wins uh but for now I will say, I think heading in 2023, uh, Francis Ngannou will not be a member of the UFC roster. What do you think, Eric? Is this it? I mean, if it is, what a hell of a way to go up. But based on you know the the point you made, and you feel like the momentum kind of kind of halted with this announcement of the surgery. I mean, do you think this is it? Like, this is the last time we're going to see him fight in the UFC, or do you think somehow as he's recovering, cooler heads will prevail and he will somehow fight in the UFC again in 2023? I think the the heart of this question, the root of this question is whether you believe Francis Ngannou and Francis Ngannou's team to be principled. Whether you believe Francis Ngannou, who has said this is not a money conversation, this is a, a respect conversation, this is a structure of the agreement conversation, this is a UFC's control conversation, um, is true to his word. At the moment, personally, I believe Francis Ngannou. I, I think that he truly believes that it's not. It's not necessarily the sums of money in total, as he as he uh, mentioned with the, in an interview with Ariel. He says he estimates that he's turned down roughly seven million dollars already. 
But the way he is being treated, the um, the tactics that the UFC uses to coax fighters into contracts, um, and the way that they are handled and, and treated as they are under uh, UFC's control on the roster. I believe Francis Ngannou, and I think they're at an impasse. Uh, UFC is... is uh, is not going to allow Francis to do the things that I believe he wants to do, which is one-off fights, right? Like, I think there's an opportunity where Francis Ngannou could say, I really want to fight John Jones, but I don't, I don't want to sign a long-term contract. I don't think UFC is ever going to do that because that weakens their position with other fighters. I think Francis Ngannou will say, Hey, um, you know, I'll sign a contract for these uh, number of fights, but I'd also like to box and do other things. I don't think UFC is going to allow him to do that either. So I think they're at an impasse. I think the UFC structure and the way that it handles uh, their roster of fighters is in as is at odds with the way that Francis Ngannou wants to conduct the rest of his career. And I do not think that that gap is bridgeable. I think there is an opportunity potentially if Francis Ngannou can go out and make some money elsewhere and raise his profile where he enters a territory where he's like a Brock Lesnar um, or a George St. Pierre type, where maybe he could come back for a one-off fight um, and, and allow himself to do that. I don't think that that will be his next move. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm, 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 if I was a betting man and, and I'm placing a wager right now, I would wager that Francis Ngannou's next fight is not with the UFC because of that, that being at odds. And then we have the whole storyline between the UFC and CAA, where it seems like the CAA fighters are no longer under, on the UFC roster. Um, Francis Ngannou being the most notable and perhaps only one left with the UFC. Um, there is, there is an impasse that we are at, and I do not expect that they will be able to bridge that gap. Um, unless the UFC changes its practices. And I don't believe that that's coming uh, on the back of this. They have, they have rebuked, um, these opportunities from more, uh, popular and, um, known fighters than Francis Ngannou, Conor McGregor. It's not like the Mayweather fight all of a sudden came together the moment he wanted it. Um, I'm sure Nate Diaz wants to box. I'm sure there's a lot of fighters under contract who want to box. So I would say that Francis Ngannou is not the biggest name who's come to them with, with an alternate proposal. And I do not think the UFC is going to change their entire business practice based on this. So I would estimate that Francis Ngannou does not fight his next fight with the UFC. Man, this is so interesting. Like, not just because of Francis, but like some of the other names that like could be up at the end of the year. Connor's only doesn't have much left. Then we got Usman. Like, could he be done? Adesanya doesn't have much left on his deal. Like, there's some pretty big names. Nate only has one fight left. Who knows how long Poirier wants to do this? So, like, by December, man, this could be real interesting. This is going to be a really fascinating year. But. Let's go to the other side because guess what? We finally heard from Dana White last night, four days after UFC 270, and that's what we'll discuss next. But the point for round one goes to... Got to give it to the Rook, New York Rick on the board. That was a tremendous round. Really making us think, and we really appreciate that. AK made us think as well, so... The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. All right, let's get into Dana White because he became a big story on Saturday night. 
because he did not wrap the belt around Francis' waist, and then he didn't show up to the press conference. No statement about it from him, nothing from the UFC. The first thing we heard from Dana White was an interview with TMZ, which, I mean, come on now. We've seen their MMA coverage, and the call coverage would be giving it too much respect. They didn't even bring up the France thing at all. I'm, that's neither here nor there. But last night, on a special Q&A with the great Laura Sanko, Dana White took it upon himself to react to the negativity and took a, a question about just Francis's wrestling and turn it into his time to say, you know what, here I go. And he said exactly this. I wasn't out there for the main event. I actually walked out of the arena right after the co-main event because there was stuff going on backstage that I was dealing with. For anybody to think that I was showing any type of disrespect towards Francis, I saw Francis all week, you idiots. I shook his hand. I said hi to him. I was out there for the stare downs, the whole thing. For anybody to think there was t some type of disrespect shown towards Francis, I wasn't out there for Michael Bisbing versus Rockhold either because I was dealing with some stuff. I sprinted from the back. I didn't even have my jacket on. I only had my shirt on to go out there, put the belt on Bisbing, but I couldn't make it out there to put the belt on Francis. There's only been one time that I've walked out on a fight and it made it very clear, showed up to the press conference and said exactly why I left. It was in Abu Dhabi with Anderson Silva. It was the Damian Maya fight. So that's the answer. I don't know if anybody asked that, but somebody wanted to. There you go. Now, Laura didn't follow up on that. And for anybody giving her crap for that, you're flinging that crap in the wrong direction because she shouldn't get any of it. She's an analyst. She works for the company. It is not her job to grill Dana White and ask follow-up questions. It was her job to host the show. She was asked to host. It is not up to her to grill Dana White about the situation. So I just wanted to get that out of the way before I turn it over to New York Rick. Nick, uh, Rick, excuse me, Nick. How would you grade this response from Dana White after four days of silence on the matter for the most part? Yeah, I'm going to give it a B plus from the perspective of, you know, uh, taking my own personal feelings aside um, and, and objectively grading it as, as uh, a response. I'll say there's no matter what answer Dana White gave, there wasn't going to be uh, an acceptance of it unless he said, uh, I was not there because I don't want to be there because uh, the UFC is at odds with Francis Ngannou and I am at odds with Francis Ngannou. Short of that, there really wasn't a good answer. Um, so him essentially saying, hey, um, I was cordial with Francis all week up until the fight. And then uh, I had to run to do something on fight night. The only time I've ever left uh, angrily was uh, Anderson Silva versus Damian Maya. To me, is as good as you're going to get when it comes to that that level um, of of reasoning and that level of response. Um, but what I think is is notable to point out here is since the the time the first time that Dana White said that Francis Ngannou had an ego problem, since that moment and since the backlash around that and since being on good terms with Francis since then, Dana White has really pointed his his ire at Francis Ngannou's management and Francis Ngannou being advised by people and certain things like that, deflecting away from the actual direct attacks on Francis Ngannou. Um, and this was a continuation of that. I respect Francis, yada, yada. Uh, I think it's a really smart strategy. I think it works. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it is never Dana White personally attacking Francis Ngannou. It's him just being advised or, or being managed in, in a certain way. Um, and I think that it's a smart tack to take. So this is a continuation of that. This is, you know, as good as it's going to get in my estimation, if as short of saying I just personally don't or the UFC as an organization is in a in good turn good standing with Francis Ngannou and I didn't want to be there um short of that it's it's about as good as you can come up with AK New York Rick gave it a B plus what are you grading it 
Uh, you know, on the Prince of Positivity, Mike, and I think I was one of the more level-headed uh, commentators in the MMA, uh, so-called MMA media, uh, when afterwards, you know, everyone was like, oh, why didn't you show up? And yeah, we, there were some pretty obvious conclusions to draw, but I said, let's just hope, you know, nothing happened to him health-wise or his family or people he knows. So uh, it's glad, uh, good to hear, as far as we know, it was nothing like that, no sort of family emergency, uh, which also gives us the freedom to start bashing Dana White again, which is also... Which is also enjoyable. So, so th- thankfully, uh, again, everything's everything's good, and we can uh, we can resume our normally scheduled programming. But it was such a a poor excuse, um, and to not elaborate on it, uh, to not choose to elaborate, on it, I should say, because w- we have social media, we have the power of social media. All he had to do to sort of uh, uh, you know put aside suspicion, if he wanted to, it sounds like he's not trying that hard. I know you know he's kind of protesting a little bit, calling people idiots who who criticize him not being there. Where's the tweet? Where, where's the, the tweet the next day? Even if not the night of, you're right. Let, let, let's say it is something so chaotic happening backstage. He doesn't have time to tweet or he doesn't have time to tell a social manager, to, uh, social media manager to tweet for him. The next day, you put, you, you just put out a congrats to the champ, uh, Francis Ngannou. Uh, you, you put it out on, your, on his Instagram. You put it on Twitter. This guy tweets about sandwiches. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, wh- why, why would he not mention it? So that, that's the most telling thing. A tweet is not the end of the world. Don't get me wrong. It, it, you know, again, you, people could say, oh, you're reading into it too much. He just didn't tweet about the main event result. But when it's a big heavyweight title fight, your first pay-per-view of the year, you think the, the president would have some reaction, uh, whether he liked the fight or not. Uh, the, the right professional thing to do, and again, to sort of diffuse some of the drama before people start speculating, you just put out a tweet. Congrats to the champ and hashtag and still. You don't have to do it yourself. You have, you have someone do it. This takes two seconds. So so that is just a bad look for him. Uh, again, whether we're talking, whether you know he's doing this because it's out of malice or incompetence, either way, it's bad. Uh, I, I don't love it. And I thought it was darkly hilarious um, that he brought up the UFC 199 Bisping uh, Rockhold result, which is not an incident that he should be proud of. We don't need to re- rehash all that drama, why he wasn't, uh, why he wasn't there. I, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a sore spot for one of our colleagues, and I, I don't, I don't want to go, go into all that again. But uh, bringing that up does not help your case, Dana. And, uh, and, and you, you need to either have better excuses or just – and this is going to sound shocking – Maybe be a little more forthcoming with your reasons here, but uh, we all kind of know the real reasons now. You know, it's not a hundred percent confirmed that it is it is this anti-Francis uh, agenda. Uh, he certainly said some nice things about Francis in the interview with Lorisenko, but uh, as as far as we're having a fight night, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, I think I think what happened backstage is like this year's version of Abu Dhabi. What was in the bag? Remember when there was a <laughs> member of somebody's team who like jumped into the fighter hotel with this mystery bag? Like, I want to know what happened backstage. Is Steve-O, did he lock himself in Dana's office with like a bear lathered in honey? Is he stapling his testicles to Dana White's wall or something? Like, is it <laughs> is it a jackass thing? Like, what is happening here? Like, what is so important that he couldn't come out? So I'm curious to know. And if if I'm just I'm, I'm just joking though, but I will say this. I said this in our work meeting Monday and I told others who asked me throughout the day yesterday how like this whole thing would work. And I said that I would bet my house that we're going to get the Oliveira Gaethje fight announcement on Wednesday and when and I knew that was going to happen. And when he was at if if he was asked about Francis, he was going to put Francis over. But if an opportunity presented itself, like Eric said, had there been follow ups, Markel Martin, Francis manager, he would have gotten that smoke. But look, AK, I. I wasn't going to do this, but this popped into my head, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to present it in this way, okay? So I interviewed Treshawn Gore the other day, who's going to make mm-hmm. his UFC debut next Saturday. And as soon as he got on Zoom, he looked at me and he said, what's up, Dana? 
like looked at me and said, what's up, Dana, to me? And I had to laugh. I thought it was hilarious. So just for the sake of argument, I'm right here, bro. Let's just say you're interviewing Dana White slash me right now. Use my shiny head for motivation. You're interviewing Dana. His PR team has come up to you and said, AK, you get one question. What are you asking him right now? Oh my goodness. Gosh, does it have to be related to Ngano? I feel like, I feel like there's, yes. there's so many things I'd like Why to ask. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> what are you going to eat for F at Friday on Friday? Like you can't <laughs> ask that. Uh, listen, it, it would have to be, it, it would actually be something I want answered immediately. I mean, I mean, uh, it's it's too vague, I think, to ask just how do you feel about the champion. I mean, you're not going to get a good answer if you ask something like that. You you really have to be pointed. So I, I would ask him something to the effect of six months from now, uh, what what does it take for you to put your foot down and either a just strip Francis of the title and move on without him? You know he's not fighting because of the injury. Uh, you know, and uh, other reasons. Maybe if he uh, if you even hadn't gotten the surgery, he might still be holding out. We don't know. So what does it take for a one strip him of the title or b you just release him from his contract? What it, it, what will it take for you to to to, uh, to have a mutually beneficial uh, situation where that could happen? So that's that's where I'd go for. It. I, I wouldn't say end of the year. I'd say within within these six months. Is it possible you and Francis can work something out and he's just allowed to walk? That's it. And and, and I and, I, and I'd say if you had to say yes or no right now, what would the answer be? Uh, and I'd love to hear uh, if he was if he was painted in the corner like that and had to give an answer, which as we know with him, he never has to give a straight answer because he's Dana White. Um, that's that's where I'd go with it. Rick, what's your question? If you are, are given the almighty golden microphone and you can only ask Dana one question to just figure out what he's thinking about this whole situation, what would you ask him? Yeah, I think Alex raised a good question, but the problem is he's not going to answer that. That 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 is not a question that he's going to answer. The only question that I believe that is outstanding that he would be forced to answer is the one we kind of alluded to already, which is you said you had a lot of things going on in the back. What were those things? That is the only question that I think um, will be answered right now. You could ask Dana White, do you think Francis Ngannou will be your champion in a year? You can ask Dana White, do you want to be in business with Francis Ngannou? You can ask Dana White, hey, uh, would you have preferred if Cyril Ghosn won the fight on Saturday night? There are, there are many, many ways to dodge that. If you are asking somebody who just told you um, that they had a lot of things going on in the back, um, if you are asking them what those things are, there's not much of a dodge. There's either I'll tell you what those things were and you can kind of see if somebody's lying based on that or uh, I'm not going to tell you and therefore you're allowed to let your mind wander and, and roam where you where you want it to be. But you will now have confirmation that that was blatantly an excuse and not actually um, a legitimate question. So that is the only one that I feel would have any value in asking him. Everything else I feel like he's he's able to duck dodge or quite frankly, like I think he would be in business with Francis. I think he would want him as his champion. I think all those things are true. And I think he's imagining or could envision a world where Francis Ngannou is the one who has to um, acquiesce to his demands and the UFC's demands. So I think you're not going to be able to paint him into a corner with anything, but please clarify what those things that you had going on were. Could talk about this whole situation for another hour, but I do want to end with, with this whole sit with this question with Francis surgery, Eric, where does the UFC go with this division? Because they won't strip Francis because then he's yeah. out of the contract and he's a free agent, or maybe they will. And they'll just cut ties right then and there. They'll certainly do an interim title fight. So one, what do you think that fight will be? And two, will John Jones be one of those fighters to step in that octagon when that next interim title fight actually goes down? Stipe Miocic versus John Jones for the UFC's interim heavyweight championship this summer coming to you. John Jones wins the belt, and now Francis Ngannou has a tough decision to make. He can make a lot of money with the UFC 
uh, potentially facing John Jones, uh, but he's going to have to compromise. He's going to have to do the things that he said he was fighting against, the long-term contracts, being locked in, being disrespected. All those things are going to remain true. He may have a higher paycheck, but all those things that he's been railing against the UFC for are going to be the things that he's now faced with. Was he true to what he was saying? Is is it just a financial uh, situation or, or was he fighting for something more? Was he fighting for a freedom and, and personal happiness? That that interim title fight that is potentially won by John Jones, in my estimation, it would be, um, is going to give him a very, very, very difficult decision to make. Ultimately, I think he is a man of his word. I think he will um, be somebody who's willing to walk away um, from the structure that the UFC uh, provides to to the unknown and, and additional opportunities. Uh, but it is not going to be easy if that fight is made uh, and John Jones emerges victorious. AK, you agree or think we're going a, a different direction? Maybe maybe John Jones can't come to terms with the UFC and we go another route just to get this division moving forward somehow. Well, I'll take it a step further. We keep saying interim. Uh, and this is kind of what I was alluding to before when I said what I would ask Dana White. I think this, this whatever the next heavyweight title fight is going to be, uh, we're talking undisputed. Uh, I don't know whether it's because the UFC just decides to strip him. And before anyone asks, like, oh, they can't strip him. Like, he, you know, he's within a year of defending. It's like, people, I, I, belts are props. I, we say this all the time. Belts are props. The UFC can do literally whatever it wants. They can create another belt and not call it interim. They, can, they're, they're, they have complete control of their belts. There's sensibly, you, you know, they would they would usually use the rule of like, oh, so-and-so hasn't fought in a year. And so we've decided to. But in this case, they could use the language of, well, they've publicly said nine, they've, they've given us a nine to ten months timetable for him uh, competing again, uh, plus the time it takes to train and book a fight again. It could be about a year. We've decided to strip him of the title. Or, or and this is a little more uh, out there, I would love to see Francis, and I know people are saying this is such an important part of him. Uh, uh, becoming a free agent and going into boxing with this around his waist. I would love to see him treat the belt like a prop and just say, I, I vacate the title. I, I'm letting it, I want you to know I do not want to be tied with the UFC anymore. Uh, everyone knows I'm the heavyweight champion. I do not need this piece of gold, this Dana White piece of gold to confirm that. I do not want to hold back the division anymore either. Uh, the, I, I, you know, take this thing off of me. Whenever they, if they want to move on without me, they can move on without me. Now, would Francis go that far? I don't know. But I think that would be such an aggressive move, especially if the first scenario presented was possible that he kind of was reading the tea leaves like, yeah, they're going to book a fight with John Jones and whoever uh, and Steve Bay or Cedar Lagan, whoever, and they're going to strip me. Then you do the, you do the I'm not breaking up with you. Uh, you're not breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you. You do that. <laughs> you, go, you go on the attack. So uh, sorry, guys, that was kind of a long winded way of saying I think that there will be a title fight. Uh, and it won't be interim. I think undisputed. I think I think so, whether through vacation or uh, stripping, uh, Francis won't be the uh, won't be the UFC heavyweight champion uh, well, much longer. Then you will. I wonder actually if he does vacate, is he done? Like, can he just be make himself a free agent? Can he just vacate the title himself and do whatever? Like that just seems I weird. Have, I have to imagine not. And I, and I also point out, like, if, yeah. if he's stripped and he's out of the champion's clause and, and a free agent, I don't imagine that UFC would, would be inclined to, to give him that opportunity um, ahead, of, ahead of the expected date. So that would be bold. I, I would definitely be interested if that, if that was what would happen. That would be, that'd be such a gangster move right there. I, I do want to say, and I know this has been the, the Francis show, shout out to Cyril Gunn. What that guy has done in his short professional MMA career is absolutely incredible. He'll be back. He will fight for that title again without question. And I know we talked about it earlier, but the way he's he's handled the loss, absolutely fantastic. So we'll move on to the other big story coming out of UFC 270 because we could talk about this for two more hours. But the point for round two... 
goes to. After that round, the gangster of positivity, Alexander K. Lee, putting himself in Francis Ngannou's shoes for a bold move. Here, here's your title. And then he just drops it right at Dana's feet. What a move that would be. <laughs> but co-main it. event. Let's go to the co-main event because excellent fight as expected. Davison Figueredo defeats Brandon Moreno. Unanimous decision. Three rounds to two on all three cards. Figgy retains, or Figgy regains, excuse me, regains the title. Tremendous fight. Could have gone either way, but the title has changed hands once again. So, AK, let's begin with you. It's usually a very tough sell, as you know, for immediate rematches. We got one after the draw. That had to happen, obviously. Moreno runs Figueredo over in the rematch, gets a finish. UFC goes back to it again. Initial reactions kind of lukewarm. But the closer we got to the fight, the closer we got to Saturday, the more people got excited about the fight. These guys put on another pretty classic battle. And now we're talking about maybe doing this fight again for the fourth consecutive time. Should they do this, AK? Should they just fire this one right back up and go four for four? Uh, look, I'm like I said on our podcast uh, just a few days ago on to the next one that if it were up to me making the matchmaking, I would like to see a little variety as great as that fight, as great as really all their fights have been. Even the second fight, it was more one sided for Moreno, but it was a it was a, a hell of a performance and, and, and still very dramatic in its own way. Uh, maybe not as much as the other two fights. But uh, so I but I've said I kind of want to see, you know, uh, the um, the Askarov uh, car France winner get, get put into the mix. I want to see what's going on with, with Pantoja. I want to see him get into the mix again. And I mean, I know people aren't chomping at the bit for like either of those guys, any of those three names I mentioned to necessarily get the next title shot. Oh, Manel cops another name you could throw in there a uh, very hot name after after his 2021 campaign um but i still i still feel like there's something to be said about fresh challengers but going with the exact phrasing of this question are people ready and should this fight be made i i have no issue with it were it announced this week uh you know to, to obscure some more of this uh, nganu drama were it announced this week that they just said yep both guys have at least verbally agreed that this is the plan they have a, a tentative date I'd be all in. I, I I would not be going on Twitter going like, oh my gosh, all these guys again, which was kind of the reaction to the second fight, uh, more understandably because it was so one-sided. Uh, sorry, excuse me, the third fight, uh, which is understandable because the rematch was so clearly a win for Moreno. But but look, you, you when you're t- anytime you're talking about the two guys who are, I think, the number one and number two flyweights in the world, if you want to still make a case for Demetrius Johnson or uh, Adriano Mares because he beat Johnson or Henry Cejudo because he's out there. If everyone's like, oh, Henry Cejudo should still be considered because if he came back, he could beat either guy. I don't know. If you want to throw that out there, that's fine. But I think I don't think you can say indisputably that these guys are not the two two of the three, four best in the world. And they've shown it in all their fights. The fights have just been have just been i mean that that was a fight of the year candy we're in january and we're and we're having to tell people please do not forget this one uh when award season comes around in, in 11 months from now it, it was just so good um and again like i said uh, it's unfortunate they're not going to brazil that would have made it such an easy like ah oh, you gotta have that that tetralogy in brazil i mean so easy to sell uh but wherever wherever the fight ends up happening now uh again should it be booked i, I think it's great I, I think the story is there i think there's personally i think there's a lot of animosity i think the cejudo bit uh working with figueredo asked uh, added a lot uh uh <laughs> kind of getting this assistance from uh, coach eric and other people with this kind of new new uh persona of some of his sound bites i think that stuff was great i think it was great um people can kind of joke about how phony it was and uh, but overall i think it added a lot of intrigue and then of course him winning was the most important part of uh, possibly generating interest in a fourth fight. So seeing four guys, uh, seeing guys, excuse me, seeing two guys fight four times in a row in the UFC sounds absurd, but 
I don't know when we're going to get an opportunity to do this again, and I don't see why you can. It's it, you shouldn't not do it just because it hasn't been done before, and just because it sounds odd to do it. it they're the two best. We still don't know definitively who is the number one guy in the UFC, 125 pounds. Run it back again, either right away or if you want to try and mix in some other guys, fine. But it it, it should happen again, uh, hopefully sometime this year. Eric, this is one of those questions where you probably would have loved to have gone first because I think AK is pulling at the old heartstrings right now because there's three <laughs> things that anytime you're on the MMA hour or doing something there, this one of these three things come up. The email, Ronda Rousey, comeback fighter of the year, and you advocating <laughs> for, the, for the best guys to fight the best guys, even if they fight 5,000 times. So I assume you agree with AK, and let's just run this thing back for the fourth time. Let, let me start with a question, Mike. Is... <laughs> To your knowledge, are we in the matrix? <laughs> to, to your uh, knowledge, I don't think so. Are, are we in, in in one of the multiverses from the Spider-Man movie? <laughs> because it's if possible. we're not, if we're not, and we're living in reality, and we and we're in the reality that we've seen, the U, the UFC's meritocracy, the idea that people earn title shots, is dead. And has been dead for a long, 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 long time. So with all due respect to Kai Kara France and Askar Askarov, there is not a universe that we are living in where they deserve to fight above running this back a fourth time. These two, and again, with all due respect, these two saved the flyweight division. There might not be a division for them to fight for the title in if these two hadn't put on the trilogy that they just put on. This division might have been folded six months ago. So God bless uh, Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Let them run this back six times, seven times, eight times, as many times as they need to decide that this uh, series of fights is over. And not until then will somebody else get another crack. And I stand by that until the end of time. These are the two best, uh, and they have saved what was a division that was on the brink uh, of failure for, for, for a long time. Um, so I get it. You want the title shot. You've worked your whole career for it, um, and you flyweights deserve it. But you're going to have to wait until these two decide that they're done, and I will not hear an argument otherwise. <laughs> there you go. Now, I mean, see, we talk about interim titles and them not having meaning, but you could just throw an interim title in there somewhere. If you think there's a whole bunch of guys stacked behind, we could do an interim title, which is basically a number one contender fight. Get these guys more money. Get them some spotlight. They could still fight for a belt and let Figgy and Moreno just go until one of them retires. Like, I, I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. But I want to just sprinkle real quick on the rest of the card. New York Rick, who's your 10th player award winner for UFC 270? Who's the sort of forgotten hero of the event? Because oftentimes these storylines come out. We, we often forget about some of the things that happen. On, and it was a pretty darn good card. It was a pretty good card from top to bottom. Who is sort of your 10th player award winner for UFC 2000? Yeah, it's it's hard because of how um, how much uh, circumstance and stakes were around the co-main and the main. But I, I'm going to have to say the most the one who made the mark, the one who, who was most memorable was uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. Um, jumping into Joe Rogan's arms, the comeback, everything about that from start to finish um, was memorable. Uh, so that's got to be... That's going to be the performance that's going to stand the test of time and be referenced back um, outside of what happened in the in the main and co-main. So uh, Vanessa is going to be my choice. AK, you already heard one air horn for Eric's answer, and I think you if you say a, a specific answer right now, you might get your own air horn. 
So choose wisely. Who's your 10th player oh, award winner? Mike, I would I don't know what you're suggesting. I would never do that. You know, I'm a fan of so much MMA outside of the UFC, uh, specifically <laughs> Japan. Uh, I think the rise in promotion is just fantastic, and there's just some some really great talents coming from there. Uh, I think uh, oh Victor Henry, I believe uh, was used to be in Ryzen, I think, and he fought for, and I believe he did. He made his use of debut finally. <laughs> I, this is just off the top of my head. I wasn't like thinking. I just now, now that you mention it, uh, you know, a great a, the featured prelim uh, on ESPN, ESPN Plus. So a lot of eyeballs were on this fight. Uh, so, some hype behind him. Again, this is a guy who probably could have been in the UFC quite a while ago. He's doing a lot of great work over in Ryzen. Has been fighting quality competition, and they throw him right in there with someone I consider to be a, a top 20 uh, fighter at 135 pounds, uh, Howany Barcelos. Uh, so by no means a, a showcase fight for Victor Henry. If anything, he kind of was maybe being brought in to, you know, get, get Howany a win. Uh, but uh, it was an amazing fight. It would have been a fight of the night candidate if it wasn't for the main event, of course, which 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 was fantastic and well-deserved. Uh, but yeah, Victor Henry just looked so great, was as advertised. As... <laughs> okay, now, now we've overdone it. <laughs> A super exciting striker, and uh, and hopefully, hopefully going forward. Again, this was kind of late notice, so you know you didn't get to do a lot of uh, you know didn't get to do a lot of pre-fight stuff. But uh, hopefully, we'll get to see more about him. Uh, you know, just outside of the cage, because I, I know some some amazing pieces have been done on him. Uh, I think people go on to YouTube and you know look up Victor Henry MMA fighting. You might you might see a great you might see a great video about. So I've heard again. I don't want to bring up anything specific and uh i just want people to know i i just hope that whoever's listening and watch this uh remembers this this pick uh whether it be you know uh the next time victor henry fights or say uh in a few in, in a little bit uh but by, by the end of this episode that's you know that's, that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying i feel like i'm watching peewee's playhouse right now every time you say victor henry the the air horns go off it's oh, like the secret oh, word there it is. Oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh-huh. Yes, uh, actually, it, and oddly enough, there's interviews with, with both of those fighters on We Got Next. So you can check that out right now on the MMA podcasting, MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. The Demopolis video interview is up. There is, you will see the Victor Henry video interview sooner rather than later as well. So, <laughs> uh, so the best episode ever. All right, we got to move on. The point for round three goes to. It goes to AK. I mean, 400 oh. air horns. He gets it. <laughs> and I planted a seed. I planted a seed, by the way. That's going to pay off later. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, surprises are coming. But let's move on to round number four. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
no UFC this weekend, but we got a couple of interesting events. Caposa will argue that there's like a hundred great events, but <laughs> there's two we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna spotlight here because we have Bellator's first event of the year, 273 in Phoenix. We got Ryan Bader versus Valentin Moldovsky. I would rather see Ryan Bader play Fedor in basketball, for being honest, but I'll, I'll take them. I'll, I'll take Bader Moldovsky for the heavyweight title. Pretty solid card from top to bottom. Of course, Big Tuna is back, and that should be the main event, but that's neither here nor there. We'll also have the United States debut of Eagle FC. That goes down tomorrow. That's the promotion headed up by Habib Nurmagomedov, Tyrone Spong, Sergei Haritanov. The main event for that one, we get the return of Rashad Evans. There you go. Some interesting storylines. So, Eric, let me ask you, if you can only watch one of these events, which one are you picking? If I could only watch one, it's going to be Eagle FC. It's going to be Eagle FC for the simple reason that I am a fan of, of the striking arts. I, in, a, in another life, worked uh, for Glory Kickboxing, and Tyrone Spong and Sergey uh, Haritanov are two of the, the very best um, in that field, in that realm. I like I like that fight. I want to see the big boys throw down with uh, with the little gloves, and just from on the odd chance that we get some valuable uh, screen time uh, from Habib Nurmagomedov. I think Habib is is the most notable uh, person who's potentially going to be shown on our television screens this weekend, um, and I would love to see him again. Hear what he has to say. Maybe he gets interviewed. Maybe uh, he's just high fiving people. Whatever it is, um, I'm down for it. Uh, so Eagle FC is going to have my attention. And then obviously you've even got the return of Rashad Evans. Um, I'm interested to see how that goes for him. So uh, it's going to be Eagle FC for me. AK, what say you? You can only watch one. You can't find out the highlights from from the other for a couple of days. Which one are you going with? That is, you mean I can't follow the excellent coverage on MMAfighting.com? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I also I, that is such a trump card for Eagle FC to be able to play with every event because I think I, I I mean this is their, this is actually their forty fourth event uh, they've held this will be their first UFC show US show excuse me and uh, I believe he has regularly popped up at, at events so uh, he, surely he will show his face uh, at this event so that is a reason to tune in but I'm going to lean a little bit towards Bellator I'm, I, I do I do quite enjoy Bellator I like Eagle FC too um, and I did love the trailer by the way I will say for anyone who didn't see the trailer. Uh, with Karatanov and uh, Taron Spong for Eagle FC. It was very like KSW-esque, this really like over-the-top cinematic thing, and, and I thought it was quite wonderful. So if there's more of that kind of production on Eagle FC, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. But uh, Bellator, I think they put together a very strong card. It's not a sexy card. Again, it's not a sexy card. It's not like sexy is like a, a U.S. debut, um, Rashad Evans coming back. That's fine. But I think it's a very high-quality uh, heavyweight fight uh, with, with real implications for the division. I think a lot of us uh, at MAFine.com, the global rankings, we have Valentin Boldavsky actually pretty high. I, I can't remember uh, where he actually landed, but some of us have him in, in our top 10. Uh, very strong heavyweight. But Ryan Bader also has done a lot of great work in heavyweight, and uh, and he told our own Damon Martin, is planning to stay there. So uh, that to me is very encouraging. Uh, it always, whenever a fighter is bouncing between divisions, I, I never... I never think that's always the best thing for them. I think if you can focus on one thing um, and if he's able to beat Moldovsky, that's a huge statement. I, I know Moldovsky is not a household name um, at heavyweight, but he, he is really good. He's undefeated. That'd be a big way for Bader to, to kick off the, the second uh, sort of the, or should I just say the, maybe the last leg 
of his MMA career if he's able to get a convincing win against uh, Moldovsky. So fingers crossed, not a heavyweight snooze fest, because um, I know uh, the Eagle FC main event will certainly more, be more uh, possibly more chaotic and fun. But I hope we get a good fight at Bellator as well. And and they, I think they built out the card really well. I think I think Islam Mamadov is the guy they want to push. So you throw him in there with Bendo. Uh, Henry Kraus is always fun. Sabah Hamasi is fighting. He's always exciting. Uh, Enrique Brazola making his his Bellator debut. I actually had not I'd forgotten that he had signed a Bellator, and he'll be fighting Darren Caldwell. So they put on a lot of veteran names. If people want look at the card themselves good mixture veteran names up and comers homegrown bellator guys uh like uh what's his, uh, his name's escaping me now lucas brennan excuse me homegrown bellator guy and uh of course opening with someone who should be maybe on the main card uh everyone's favorite viral sensation uh, big tuna ben Parrish. so uh that really big tuna is uh, i should have just mentioned him at the beginning that probably would have settled the argument yeah you would have won the game outright if you just I, I, right I, off the bat again all that other stuff unnecessary but, I mean, you're playing too much to Casey, not playing too much to the judge who, who actually awards <laughs> these these regulation points. So I'm sorry. You know what? I'll ask one more question. I'll give you a chance to, to save face, AK. Low-key banger storyline of the Ooh. weekend. What, what What's standing out to you? What Could be from Bellator. Could be from Eagle FC. Could be something else. What's the, uh, the low-key storyline? Fight, fighter, storyline, what you got? Gosh, Loki. Well, I mean, I wish I hadn't run down the Bellator card now because, again, I would have gone with some I, – I, again, I would have gone with with uh, Mamadov. I know I think uh, his last fight, he won. I think people didn't love it. Oh, he did win, right? I should probably know this. Yeah, that was the that was the Brent Primus fight that he actually lost. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that, right. It's very close. I, I think this is a very good chance for him to bounce back. Uh, again, he has one of those sort of glossy – uh, records 21 and one which uh, is i think is easy to sell but it's you know not if you don't know who he beat and who he fought and if the brent Primus fight was the only fight you saw you probably had a little bit of a, what's the big deal with this guy thing so i like i really like that beltor put him back in there with with a proven name again benson henderson i get it uh, he's not going to rank in anyone's you know maybe top 20 anymore but he's a tough out he's always a tough out uh, he's not a guy there that people just walk over. So this, for me, is is their chance to really build Mamadov back up, uh, Mamadov, excuse me, back up, uh, and keep him as a guy who I think they see uh, as a future lightweight champion. So I mean, it is a co-main event. I know maybe not as much of a, a low-key banger or storyline as people would think, but I think both these cars this weekend kind of qualify as low-key, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I'll go. I'll go with uh, the potential redemption of Mamadov after that uh, the premise fight. Oddly enough. Benson Henderson told me when I spoke with him yesterday that he reached out to Bellator and said, hey, my career's winding down. What, what, what do I need to do to get to a title shot quickly? And Scott Coker called him up. Benson asked him that. And he said, fight Islam Mamadov. So ben Henderson, Benson Henderson feels that if he, if he wins on Saturday, his next fight will be for the belt. How about that? So the stakes are very high here for one Benson Henderson. So what, what, what is your low-key uh, storyline banger there, New York Rick? That was uh, I have to give credit to Alex. Uh, w- what an answer! Um, woefully wrong, but but tremendous effort uh, given thank there. You. Um, oh, thank you, thank you, Rick. Thank you. The story, <laughs> the story of the weekend is actually going to happen tomorrow and then carry through, uh, and that's going to be Jake Paul's uh, rap uh, music video. Um, <laughs> oh. Um, there's not going to be a more impactful there's not going to be a more scene there's not going to be a more viral moment than when jake paul presses publish on that bad boy uh throughout the weekend and it will color the coverage of the weekend um and be the most discussed thing this weekend heading into next week um and maybe beyond who knows maybe it'll become a legendary track that that lives in the annals of, of music history so uh jake paul uh dana white diss uh coming to you friday uh is going to be the story 
Flag on the play. Wow. Flag on the play. Wow, this is we're just going outside the events. Oh, that is that is. So hey, he listened. Hey, listen, I believe I that said, in the rules. I said could be Bellator, could be Eagle FC, could be something else. I believe those are the, you did, the you words did say I something said. Else. You, I ignored the something else. You do. I always forget the something else. I mean, do we even need a drum roll here, Kate? We'll we'll do it. You know, let's let, let's go with the flow of the show. The point for round four goes to. Alexander K. Lee's opponent, New York Rick. Yay! By the way, I'm sorry, I see a comment, people saying uh, it'll be on, I do not, uh, it'll be on Eagle FC on Fight Pass. I don't think it's on Fight Pass, right? It's on EagleFC.com, if I'm not mistaken, right? I think it's on FL, FLX or something. Yeah, yeah, that's their sort of the, the service they're tied to. But I think you can you can register, it's free, I think, register through EagleFC.com. Uh, I've heard the stream call is pretty good. That's what Damon told me. Uh, but it might be a little different for the actual event. It could be a lot of traffic. But uh, either way, if people want to know, I, it is not on Fight Pass. I do not believe it's on Fight Pass. I don't know if they're going to throw it on there after, maybe add it to the archives. But live, EagleFC.com. And uh, I think it, it's pretty clear. I checked it out myself. You, you can't miss it. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, good for them. Okay, so it's two to two. You know what that means. It's time for the knockout round. We will ask one question, probably about a topic we discussed already, and we'll dive into a little bit more. And each participant will have one minute to give their response, and then we will turn it over to the judge, the jury, the executive. Nope, that is not true. That is not true, because we have a very special guest judge. No. And it's only fair. It's only fair, considering how this matchup was put together in the first oh. place. There's a third man in play. And even oh. though he doesn't call himself this, he is in the books. His name is on the plaque in the offices of the BTL Championship Committee, the reigning, defending, undisputed BTL champion, Mr. Jed Mishu. Oh. There he is. Oh. Okay. Oh, my favorite person. Okay. My favorite person. What? What did I say? What were you saying at the beginning of the show about, about competing against me? Nothing. I didn't say anything. <laughs> why did I spend all this? Why did I? Why did I spend all this time buttering up Casey? Why did I spend all this time buttering up Casey? I don't care about. I don't care about Victor Henry. I don't care about Victor Henry. I don't care about Victor Henry. That was that was that was all BS. <laughs> I can say it now. It doesn't matter. He's not doing the judging. I don't care. I don't care what he thinks. <laughs> So, AK, we had a we had a we had a meeting with the BTL Championship Committee last night, and they felt it was only fair because you felt so wronged by all of this that you get the champion's prerogative for for this uh -huh. final question. You get to decide whether like, or not just, you would like to go first, just, or you know or what pass I want. it on over. You know what I want. Just give it to me. Okay. Stop all right. So we kind of touched. We kind of touched on this. You touched on it earlier in the show. Jed, uh, not not Jed, New York Rick touched on it a little bit at the, on the last question, but we're going to dive into this because I didn't know where I was going to go with this. There's a number of ways I could have gone. Jeremy Stevens parting ways with the UFC was a big story, but it's not really that surprising if we're being honest. I was going to go with the Florida Athletic Commission screwing the pooch with the whole Melvin Gillard fight against Yuli Diaz and Knucklemania, but who knew that Florida had a soul when it came to fighter safety? So... We're just going to go this route because Aaron Bronsetter and Ariel Hawani had a little debate about this whole thing. So I figured what better place to settle it than right here in the BTL virtual arena. So Jake Paul mm -hmm. teased an announcement this past weekend that came to fruition this week. He and a partner made an investment in Endeavor stock, the parent company of the UFC. And he is doing this. 
to change fighter pay from within. So there's no details on how much was invested or what he is actually trying to prove with this entire thing. So we're going to try and crawl inside the head of Jake Paul here, AK. What does this all mean? What are we going to try? What, what, what is he trying to do? What does this investment mean? What is he trying to prove? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that it's it's a little more than people think it is and a little less than people think it is. Uh, certainly the initial thought of, oh, my gosh, he is he is he is he is investing in it. This is going to give him some sort of decision making power. I think that was shot down pretty quickly. I think people realize what a massive company this is, uh, what a small percentage this investment will be uh, whenever it is finalized. Uh, and and it, it whenever when, it, when it's done. We're not going to wake up in the morning and be like, well, now Jake Paul can, can make decisions about fighter pay. This is if, if this is genuine, if him and his team are really, you know, working with this other group to try and make change, this is going to take a long time. I and mean, you, 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 you won't see the, uh, the effects of it for like, I want to say a year, which is like optimistic, probably years plural is probably the answer. So in the short term, it's just something that's, you know, it makes Jake Paul richer. It gives him publicity. It gives him another bullet to fire, uh, maybe another bar in this tr track that's coming out uh, tomorrow. But I don't think it's anything substantial. I think it's a great move. I think it could lead to something meaningful in the future. But right now, uh, grain of salt here. And, and let's just look at it as a, a Jake Paul beneficial maneuver. Okay. We turn it on over to New York Rick with his final minute of a participation on this program. At least for this for this show, maybe he goes on and to bigger and better things. But you know the question: Jake Paul buying Endeavor stock thinks he's going to change the way we look at fighter pay forever and ever with this move. Do you agree with him? Was he trying to actually prove this whole thing? Your one minute starts now. Yeah, the fact that AK just spent an actual minute talking about whether Jake Paul buying stock was going to impact anything is is comical. Uh, of course, it's not. Um, it was another needle in the side of Dana White, and it will continue to be a needle in the side of Dana White as Jake Paul has continued to be. I think it's worth pointing out that Jake Paul is doing this in concert with Nikisa, his manager, uh, former UFC um, executive um, and they are smartly playing this and just continuing to get attention and continuing to get attention and continuing to get attention their impact or Jake's impact if, if we're going to pin it to him is only going to be to continue to aggravate Dana White to the point that maybe one day there will be an offer for Jake Paul to fight in the UFC that is where I think this is all heading that is what I think the end goal is and I think that ultimately he might be able to pull it off um, but no, absolutely meaningless in, in uh, if you're looking at it in a vacuum and only matters in the context of another shot across the bow uh, for Jake Paul and Nikisa. All right. There we go. Jed Mishu coming on the show. A little part-time work here as the champion, and but he's got a very big decision. There's a lot of weight on this decision. Okay, we got New York Rick, A.K. Lee, big-time grudge match. I, I feel like the respect has grown between these two since we began the show over the last hour and six minutes or so. So now we turn it over to Jed Mishu. Jed, who gets it done? Is it, is it AK Lee, the man you work with so uh, on so many projects with or New York, Rick, a man who you could be creating many more projects in the future with who got it done. I've, I've, known, I've also known Ricky longer, known, known Rick for much longer than AK. And we share the homeless pirate look right now. So big, you know, another another check in the box for him. I just want to say, uh, first, it's an honor to be here. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Uh, second, well fought between both of you gentlemen. Watch the whole show. 
Um, you know, I, I feel often it's a bit of chicanery that gets us to an even, you know, 2-2 two, two heading into the last round, but not this time. Thought it was well contested. I got to say, though, I, I don't I didn't love either final answer. Uh, I thought you both made some points that were solid. AK, I, I love your positivity. I think it is naive, but I love the positivity. And and Ricky, I I connect with your cynicism, but I I'd like I'd like to live in a more hopeful universe. You know, I'd like to live in one of those alternate uh, realities or whatever it is from Spider-Man. At the end of the day, we're we're gonna have to go with drumroll, please. The man who lives in reality, New York Rick. Man, he gets it done. I can't stop hearing you call him Ricky now, though. I feel like Lou Brown of the, the Cleveland Indians from, from Major League fame. Ricky. No. We're like, that. we're like, that's allowed. That's allowed. We're like that. So what do you call Jed? Jetty, of course. <laughs> Old Jetty. <Jedi. laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, New York Rick comes on the show first appearance and gets a victory unbelievable you don't get money or a gold shiny belt or a trophy or anything but you do get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about good bad and different about the sport of mixed martial arts sir yeah I want to take this 30 seconds to dedicate it to Alexander Kaylee. Um, gave him, gave him a, t- a tough out on, on voting um, on the championship round um Gracious opponent heading into this, um, relentless worker, tremendous nice guy. As I said on Twitter, it, it was gonna, it was gonna be, uh, it was gonna break my heart to have to bury him in the way that I did today, um, and it did. Um, but I, I love this man uh, unequivocally. I think he's a, an awesome contributor to MMA fighting. Um, on one of the, the, he he does everything um, that you could ask of anybody. Uh, an awesome teammate, an awesome friend. Um, and yeah, shout out to AK Lee. That's that's how I'm spending this time. I mean, what a moment! Just one of the all-time great moments on the show. AK, what do you winner. want to say? A worthy, a worthy winner. This- I mean, the, New York Rick, it, it was an honor to go against you. I'm so glad you got finally got to be in between the links. You got to give the people what they want. Uh, uh, Casey, don't be afraid to throw up that uh, to throw up that number there. I, I know that's uh, I know that's not I know that's not my <laughs> I know that's my old record. Go ahead, you can throw that right up there anytime now. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, an honor, honor. Uh, it, it's just great, uh, and so happy to work to work with with uh, with Rick and uh, to get to go against him and to have to have the most honorable Jed Mashu. I I wish I had known about the switcheroo. I would have sprinkled in references to Fight Circus and Charles Crazy Horse Bennett and how great his rankings are and so much better than the rest of us. Uh, so I, I, was, I was a little bit screwed. I was a little bit screwed. My uh, my brown nosing was not rewarded, uh, and uh, and I feel a little bit bad about that. But there you go. There's the five and fourteen, which I which I wear proudly. So thank you for having me on, Mike. You know, very well. I mean, I AK, honestly, that would have all helped. But really, you just can't break the kayfabe. Like, you just needed to die on on Victor Henry Hill, and as soon as you did, and I did, really put you behind. Oh, also, you, oh you I really, <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I cracked. I cracked. I cracked too early. I cracked too early. I cracked. <laughs> also, I also really want to see Ricky take on on Connor now because that feels like the next yes, matchup that I, yes, unless. Unless, of course, you know, the, the true champion wants to come back and, and finally face me. I know that she's been very, Phoenix has been very occupied with stuff. But if that's up next, then I'm in. But otherwise, give me Ricky versus Connor all day. 
I'll, uh, that I'll might have to be the case. Comers, I, I appreciate the endorsement. I will say um, the fact that you don't consider yourself the true champion is telling. That's interesting. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I'm yeah. going to make a run at the let's, let's see what happens. Maybe maybe I'm coming for that title. Maybe, uh, maybe oh. I want a piece of the action. <laughs> I, yes. I, I mean, you can't get the title from me yet because I haven't beat Phoenix. I've gone up against her, I think, three times, and I've gotten that work each time. So until I beat her, I'm look. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not Aljamain Sterling. I say I'm not the champion. I'm going to keep living that line until I beat her. So you you can come at me, but you will get you'll get the the fake belt that the UFC is about to give John Jones versus Stipe. <laughs> while they try and sit on Francis for the next year. That's the quality of a belt you will get if you come beat me. And you know what? It'll be the only one that's in action. It'll be the only one being defended, and that will make it the real belt in reality. Man, I don't know if you guys saw Jose Young's. We're watching this Jose Young story unfold. First he says Jed only eats red Skittles, and then uh, he called out New York Rick. He's the one who calls him out. Pull that one up. It's Jose versus Eric next week. Higher ranked fighter gets top billing. How about that? I don't want to compare myself to Jake Paul, but I feel like I'm disrupting this whole thing and everybody wants a piece. And you know what? I'm ready to give it out. And Jose is washed like Tyron Woodley, so that actually would work really well. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know. Six rounds. (laughs) Same. I See, will so let me just add giving that you a cliffhanger. Let me just add that Jake Paul and New York Rick are both undefeated. <laughs> Find out who New York Rick is gonna face next week, right here on Between the Links. What an episode it was. A rivalry, a grudge has been settled, and it ended in respect. And that's all the show, it's all we ask for from this program. So thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. For AK, for New York Rick, for our special guest judge, Jed Bashu. For E. Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. Thank you for watching Between the Links. See you next week. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Happy birthday, AK! You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.